Hey Hansel, how are you this week? You know what? I'm hanging in there. Been a tough week. Everything we understand with the Derek Chauvin stuff, it hasn't been easy. Lots Definitely. Of, lots it's, of things to it's parse It's been through. very dense, uh, very emotional, lots of stuff going on, and uh, you know, in some ways very conflicting. Well, welcome to Kingdom Thinking, everybody. My name is Josh, and with me, as always, is Hansel. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking uh, through the Derek Chauvin verdict, and we're going to be having a, a reaction to it, and more so specifically from a Christian response perspective, right? So by the time you're watching this video, uh, the verdict has been out. People have been talking about this for a little while, and we wanted to jump on this, but we didn't want to just do it right away. Uh, part of that feels... Uh, a bit disingenuous to me, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, right, to just kind of come in without letting my thoughts settle yeah. for a little bit. Uh, yeah. And that's not for everybody. And that's not a slam against anybody who did have an immediate reaction. It's just for me, there's value in taking a, a few moments to process. And so, um, yeah, if you don't know who Derek Chauvin is, or if you haven't been paying attention for the last year, uh, he was the officer who uh, was responsible, uh, according to the jury, for George Floyd's death. And he was just recently convicted of two different murder charges, third degree murder, second degree murder, and uh, a manslaughter charge. And so uh, after taking the time to process the news, we felt like it would be important for us to kind of have a conversation about this, both in how we feel, just about the verdict, the reality, American race relations moving forward, uh, and policing and all those kinds of conversations, but more for us and our show specifically, what's the so what response mm-hmm. from the Christian perspective? <clears throat> yeah. How are we supposed to live uh, with this news and how are we supposed to carry it with us moving forward as it relates to the topic of race, the church and race, race mm-hmm. and Christianity, race in America, and all of that uh, as a whole. And so I, before we like really kind of jump into that so what process, I wanted to just kind of create some space. How are you yeah. interpreting and processing all of this as it continues to move forward? Yeah, so I feel very conflicted to be honest with you, I've seen lots of responses. And on the one hand, I understand the kind of relief, um, cathartic, mm-hmm. uh, even metaphorical breath, Yep. right? Uh, I, th- I did appreciate Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, alluding to a tweet, a reference, I can breathe. Mm. Uh, I've seen it on different platforms. I get that. Uh, I've also seen the opposite reaction, mm-hmm. the skepticism, the suspicion. Was this a fair trial? Are there reasons to think that this was uh, biased, uh, that he maybe didn't, there wasn't a handshake to begin with, mm-hmm. that there were other ex- external pressures, et cetera, right? Um, and I think what saddens me most is the kind of saddle defense faux neutrality of certain evangelical institutions that sure. I've seen. Uh, I saw a statement recently by an evangelical, I'm not going to name them, an evangelical institution that said something basically along the lines of, hey, as Christians, we need to uh, listen, learn, encourage, and empathize because everybody's having difficult feelings about this. So, you know, just be spiritual about mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. it rubbed me the, the wrong way. Yeah. And I don't want to be cynical and or overly suspicious, but I think that it just seemed a little dishonest to me. Sure, sure. Um, I think it, it, I mean, if you're going to say that, you could have not said anything at all. Right, right. Either be honest and say, hey, we're glad this happened. We're glad he was convicted or, hey, we we don't think he got a fair shake or whatever the case. Yeah. But it it seemed to like CEO, corporate statement, CYA kind of thing. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's where I'm personally conflicted. It's really hard for me, uh, on the one hand, to cheer for what could be seen as 
the one bearer of all guilt <clears throat> for all things, kind of like make an example or, or kind of thing. On the other hand, the, the necessity for accountability is mm-hmm. real, right? And so lots of stuff that I think we can unpack, but that's where I'm at personally. Yeah, I, I would have a propensity to agree with you, right? There is something in me that <clears throat> longs desperately for more um, accountability to be held for policing stuff gone awry, right? Uh, for me, I, the example that I draw back to uh, fairly often is the one of Philando Castile, right? Who was a card carrying NRA member who had a whole like concealed carry and he was still shot to death in front of his girlfriend's son, you know, in their car. And there was no accountability for that. And so with the George Floyd stuff and everything there, it's like, it almost feels as though this is a stand in for so many other missed mm. opportunities, mm. right? When it's come to very obvious overreaches of police malfeasance or kind of taking things too far. And then on the other side of that, in a more meta narrative conversation, it's like, Police are so ill-trained and mm-hmm. ill-equipped to be able to handle a job mm-hmm. that is so pressure-filled, mm-hmm. and it's from a perspective that I never get to sit in, right? I, I don't willingly sign up for a job where my main goal isn't to go home at night, right? Like, that's not the main job of a police officer. It's to be willing to sacrifice their life for someone else. Like, that that's a call for the gig, right, an essential part of that willingness. And so it feels hard, mm-hmm. if I'm honest, to speak out uh, – so flippantly, mm-hmm. you know, like all cops, like, I don't believe we should defund police. I don't, I'm not an ACAB supporter, right? Like none of that makes any sense to me, uh, particularly because that doesn't help minority communities based on their own polling right. and data. But the other side of that being like, it feels like this George Floyd case has been a stand in, mm-hmm. right? For so many other conversations huh. about race in America, white and black conversation and tensions, but particularly white police and, you know, and black victims. And so, uh, part of me feels like, well, I'm happy that there's some type of accountability, like you said. It's not justice, right? People have said correctly, I think, that if justice was actually the thing in this situation, George Floyd would still be alive. Uh, The system kind of worked in some sense, right? Like we would in one hand or in one breath celebrate that. But on the other side, I'm I'm leery to be excited because there are enough things that occurred during the trial to where an appeal might grant a mistrial of some sort, you know, as it kind of moves up the change, because you know, there's going to be an appeal, you know, there's going to be more conversation. We've got some seven or eight weeks left mm-hmm. here until sentencing. Correct. And so, uh, I still kind of sit with bated breath mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't feel like I have, for me personally, have reached any emotional yeah. kind of uh, satisfaction. Si- yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And- I saw a post earlier today from a, a colleague, a friend, uh, that said <clears throat> about a year ago, I was hoping and yearning for a broken system to be healed, to be mended, for mm-hmm. a broken system to be um, escorted out. But what I saw was one man mm-hmm. escorted out. Right. And I think he was intentionally being poetic. He's not like ignorant right, to the reality, right? right? But but I, I can't help but feel that, that sense of, I mean, how much has actually changed? Right, right. Um, and so... Again, I don't want to be too cynical, right? And say like, hey, one step at a time. Like, this is a good thing for yeah. right now. And at the same time, I mean, there was just a, a young man. Uh, his name escapes me right now who was just gunned down. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, it's, it's just so much and it's exhausting. And when it took a worldwide movement, right? Co- to correct. Get us, and to so get like, here. I mean, think about that, right? It took a worldwide movement. Yeah, for maybe 30 years, right? Like that would be the most that Chauvin would That's face. That's incredible to me. In, in but um, talk to me a little bit more about something that, that we were talking a little bit before. What do you see might be even some like 
vulnerabilities or susceptibilities of even the case itself to yeah i mean there were some so there were some mitigating factors that made me a little bit nervous right i followed the trial pretty closely okay. and, and so some of the things um that were uh that were commented on right like some of the witness potential witness intimidation stuff with uh people showing up to where they thought uh they were going to show for so there was a defense state where a defense witness who was testifying on behalf of chauvin people showed up to what they thought was his house but it turned out to be an old address and there was a uh, severed pig's head with blood really? all over the place yeah and so that type of stuff uh representative maxine waters showing up and talking about how if we didn't get a specific type of verdict things were going to be problematic wow. right uh and she was actually <clears throat> castigated by the judge in the courtroom like the day before sentencing occurred right for this so there were enough things like that that kind of piled on top of each other uh that make me a little bit leery that on some type of appeal that if they go to a higher court that there might be a judge who just says like yeah you're right like this was a mistrial right the fact that it stayed in minneapolis mm. there is some conversation to be had about not being able to find an impartial jury by his peer or impartial trial by uh jury members who weren't you know super inundated with the Correct. news who didn't catch just a glimpse of it the jury was never sequestered until the actual you know time when they needed to render a verdict which can be argued as problematic right because they can be taking in information and stuff and so uh that's not to say i'm not happy about the decision because i think overall i am for the most part in the way that i can be as far as i can be in right, this right uh, but it is to say that i don't know how long that will last. And because of what we've seen in the history of our justice system, like I wouldn't be terribly surprised if things got overturned. And I almost f fear that being worse hmm. than being rendered, you know, not guilty Correct. on all of these Could charges. And just, the, I just don't know how that reaction upheaval? would be taken. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because we know things would be bad yeah. if he was acquitted. Yeah. But if he's guilty and then that's overturned, like, I, yeah, I, I don't know how I would right. feel in right. that situation. So a lot, lot going on. Right. Yeah. And so, as we kind of try to marinate or be introspective about some of those existential realities yeah. for us, what do you think are some helpful guiding points for us and our viewers of now as not only as people, but as Christians, as mm -hmm. people who assume and strive to adopt the values of Christ, of, of the kingdom, sure. of this otherness that transcends uh, the sheer human instincts, right? Yeah. So how, we, how could we respond to this? Yeah. So we, we came up with three kind of conversation pieces that I think are crucial for us as followers of Jesus to uh, not only acknowledge moving forward, but to really make a central part of the way that we interact okay. with the world as we go forward. And so the first one uh, to me is always educating yourself. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a huge, huge thing. Uh, and all of these things that we're going to be talking about today are not just stuff that's come from Hansel's brain or my brain, right? There is like there's, these are anchored in scripture, right? And they're anchored in the, in the person of Jesus. So Proverbs 18, 15 reads, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge, right? Yeah. And so we have a biblical mandate to try and gather knowledge, mm -hmm. right? As much as we can across all these types of topics, particularly when they affect our brothers and sisters, Correct. right? And these are, you know, race relations is a thing that will forever be a topic yeah. in, in America. So uh, this is a huge frustration for me personally when I'm dialoguing with people and there's just a lack of knowledge hmm. around the topic, right? There's value in being able to see that uh, things from the perspective of our black brothers and sisters when they say, look, you know, 
even though there was not an there was not an allegation of racism brought in the Chauvin trial specifically, right? Like it wasn't actually spoken to in the trial, but there was this racial undertone and this underpinning that kind of guided the whole mm-hmm. trial and American discourse about it, right? And so there's somewhat of a disconnect there between what went on in the courtrooms on the record and kind of what was the undercurrent or off the record spot about the conversation. And so when somebody who's black tells me as a white person like that may not be racist in your mind, or you may not be able to see why we feel that way, but you have to understand like a knee on the, on the back of the neck conversation piece is racial at the very least. Mm. Even if we don't get that, we have to say, okay, we can look at the larger meta narrative of American discourse and history yeah. and it's racial overtones, mm-hmm. right? Up until barely a generation ago and say, at the very least, I can understand your perspective mm-hmm. there. And if we can't get to that point, we are in a lot of trouble, not yeah. not just as Christians, but just as people, right? Like if you can't think and put yourself in the position of the other as you're trying to understand that spot, that's a huge problem. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think of this on two levels and what's particularly troubling to me is beyond the empathetic disposition to not see somebody as your enemy or right. the other, right. but we're on the same team, I mean, not even being able to agree on facts, right? Not right. even being able to agree on kind of fundamental elements, mm-hmm. and so things. I mean, things like was he intoxicated or not, right? What did he have propensities for uh, heart failure mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Uh, breathing failure? Mm-hmm. Was that a legitimate restraining move or not, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, it's troubling to me. On the one hand, I don't have perfect perspective. I wasn't there. And even if I was there, I'm not an expert in kind of police restraining kind of moves or whatever. But all the discourse and the back and forth um, that leads to kind of going back and protecting my own, my tribe. Right. That's very troubling to me. Yeah. And I don't know what to do about that. Yeah. I mean, we just have to keep putting ourselves in those types of uncomfortable situations. Yeah. Right. And, And so... You know, one easy, really, really, really easy way to do that is just Googling. They're like Google is the most free resource that exists on the internet, right? And, and so, being taking time to be intentional in our collection of information, yeah, there. But then also understanding uh, that there's probably value in limiting punditry, mm-hmm. right, in the consumption of that, right? Yeah. So people that just kind of hold these uh, polemic standpoints for me are like Ben Shapiro on the far right. And then people like the Young Turks on the far left, right? Like these, the furthest of the right type of media commentary of which I'm aware. And then the furthest of the left media commentary that I'm aware. And like when you consume those Mm -hmm. mainstream or alternative streams of media, like taking the time to remember where their bias is, right? Right. And where it's coming from and how that is going to shape everything. And then in turn, that hopefully puts in you the conversation of like, where's my bias coming from, Mm -hmm. right? Because none of us are approaching situations objectively right like that's kind of a worthless term in this dialogue there because it's like we can't be objective about any of these things correct and so that becomes i think crucially important for us and so what's our second thing yeah so having said that i think the desire to educate not for the sake of acquiring ammunition right? right but for the sake of engaging with our second one empathy yeah meaning can i garner the ability to put myself in my neighbor's shoes like mm-hmm. what if i was white what would that experience be for sure. me right what if you were black mm-hmm. um what if that was my family member right what if i had you know family members in the police force yep how would i understand that differently and so it's it's about a disposition mm-hmm. right it's about an attitude and i know we say this a lot it's not about us versus them but i mean 
how many things would be different if we really could see ourselves working towards a collective goal towards which Christians should be at the front of yeah, leading the charge on human dignity yep. and on things that transcend your your guild, that transcend your tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, so many conversations would be different. Yeah. And it w- I, I would hope it wouldn't have to take a global movement to kind yeah, of come every together. Time, every time something atrocious happens. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So uh, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, uh, feel it as they would yeah. feel it. Yeah. Uh, the metaphors for the church are for a reason, body, family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the bride of Christ, the, the most intimate partner that you can have with somebody. Yeah, I mean, this needs to be the most obvious one, right? Like, if you're not willing to do this or if you're not able to do this, you're not a good follower of Jesus. Correct. Like, there's no other way to put it. And if you refuse to engage in this, if, you're, if your default assumption is to run to your side mm-hmm. there, there's an idolatry, idolatry problem mm. that's occurring in your life, right? And, and to me, the issue with all of this is like, yes, there's a time for facts, there's a time for discussion, there's a time for pushback, there's a time for, you know, statistical citations, all of those things have their place in the discussion, right? Uh, But for me, this, so as soon as that verdict came down, right, people that I, you know, consume on the right, mistrial needs to be moved off of, this was a total miscarriage of justice, blah, 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 people automatically on the left, right? Like, this was good. It's about time. You know, this was only one. Next, we have to dismantle the whole system. Like, it just immediately went to those things. Right. And there was no Imago Day kind of discussion mm. about what was lost in the person of George Correct. Floyd or even what might be lost in the person of Chauvin. Exactly. And, and I don't I mean, want to think about that for a second. Well, yeah. Well, I, I don't want to create a false equivalency here of saying, like, uh, we need to, like, push Chauvin as, as much of a victim as we need to push Floyd. That's mm-hmm. not what I'm saying no, by no, any stretch no, no, of the no. imagination because I don't, that's not my conviction personally in, yeah. in this case there, but it's like the loss of life for Floyd will never be something that can be undone uh-huh. uh, this side of the grave. And my fear though is in the desire to dignify Floyd because black people have been so historically marginalized mm-hmm. in this culture. I'm afraid that in the just pop, dialogue that's happening kind of around the mainstream conversation mm-hmm. or the surface level conversations come at the expense of mm. the Imago Day that Chauvin has as well. Right. And again, not trying to defend Chauvin by any stretch of the imagination here, but what I am trying to defend is the inherent worth that each person has yeah. in the eyes of Christ. Right. And I don't think it has to be one or the other. Yeah. And my fear is the right pushes Chauvin saying like, Hey, his life's going to be ruined over something that blah, blah, blah. And there's no attention paid to Floyd over here and the stuff that he went through other than like a, a last second breath addition to like, yeah, of course we know that the death of Floyd was bad. And it's like, but you're not sitting in that, right? Like you try to move so quickly. You're not getting it. Yeah. You try to move so quickly to your side that it becomes problematic. No, I agree 100% because if, if the only sense of relief that we're going to have for the abuses that black and brown and even Asian people now, right, are taking is the reciprocal dehumanizing of others, then I don't think we're winning. Right. Well, I mean, we're not. We're not, right? Like, there's such a propensity to say, like, you know, when, when somebody's like, hey, another black person was shot. Well, you know, less than 30 black people were shot by the police, you know, unarmed in 2019, according to the Washington Post statistics. So that's not that much. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, you might be correct in citing that fact. Yeah. But timing is a heck of a lot more important 
you can say the right thing the wrong way correct and still get the wrong result or the right fact yeah yeah and the wrong like intention or i mean I, it would almost be immoral yeah i would say to yeah. say that right yeah i especially when things are so hot especially correct. on the internet with strangers right like yes. when you argue again not the place there's no reason to argue with strangers on the internet yeah on this because you just don't end up winning anything you just look like correct. a jerk correct to the people who do know you and i think that's i think you put into words what i was feeling and mm-hmm. i was unable to say that I'm dissatisfied with the sentiment that we have to uh, feel like we only win if we strip the other's dignity away. Yeah. Because mine was stripped away. Or because in this case, right, so many victims, George Floyd's was. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. got to be something better. And again, right, we, we are by no stretch of the imagination saying that uh, at least I don't, I don't think you are. We're no. not suggesting like, oh, hey, we're dissatisfied with the trial and uh, – there's got to be some other way. No, no, we're not saying that. Nope. We're saying it seems to me that a Christian perspective must start with a transcendental view of what it means to be human. And the ways that the image of God is harmed and marred can only be recovered by something more uh, than um, reciprocal kind of punishment. Yeah, Meaning reciprocal in, animosity. There's, some, there's something bigger than eye for an eye, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And Mutually then, assured destruction doesn't help anyone Correct. in this conversation correct please. and so man i i just i wonder because i don't have a good answer for this so what so what would have been better you know i, I don't have a good answer for that i don't yeah so as we move into the last one here uh the conversation is centered around encouraging your friends right yeah. first thessalonians five eleven reads therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing uh people process at different rates these mm. things and i think it's incredibly important to step into the lives of people that we're friends with who don't look like us mm-hmm. specifically in this time if you're a follower of Jesus and check in on them about bigger conversations right so you can check you know as people you have relational capital with check in how how are you feeling about everything how are you processing but don't just ask your black friends about how they're feeling to the chauvin trial reaction right like hey how's your life how's the gym how's work there because we have a propensity in American dialogue to boil things down simply to the melanin in your skin or lack thereof, right? Mm-hmm. And the complexity of people is so much greater than the conversation of whether or not you're just white or black or you know Hispanic or, or whatever. In the and, and there needs to be that conversation to occur, right? There needs to be a time and place for that. But we are far more than just those things. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody doesn't feel like talking about the trial or if they're still processing don't stop checking in on them, right? Mm-hmm. Ask them about other elements of their life because it helps us remember that people care yeah. about more than just black issues, white issues, Hispanic yeah. issues or whatever, right? And when it's appropriate, sit with them in their grief, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is the story of Job, right? Like you're a Job guy more than me in terms of being an Old Testament guy. So, I mean, so what do we learn in the story of Job that kind of speaks to this example in your mind? Yeah, I mean, in my mind, I think that... <clears throat> We are much more like Job's friends yeah. than we are uh, helpful <laughs> helpful, or, or that, that we are like God's interaction yeah. in, in yeah. that, that story. And so I think part of it is because we want quick fixes yeah, for, for a sure. lot of things. For sure. And the desire for the, the, the situation itself to be remedied misses the point yeah. of what the call is which is to journey through it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, you know what? You may not have an answer to why. Yeah. 
And so we need to give up the fantasy that we somehow have a, a grand perspective of why things mm -hmm. happen mm -hmm. and that we can fix it mm -hmm. or that God is interested in necessarily fixing those things. And I really do think that a Christian perspective on something like this could be, uh, like you were saying, to journey with people right. through that and, and not in just this cheap CEO statement way, right? But uh, to not have to shy away from your conviction. Like whatever way you feel about this trial, like is fine. Right. Are you willing to sit with people who might not even feel the same way about you about it? Um, that to me seems much more impressive and much more uh, in line with a gospel value. Yeah, and, and that becomes the kind of the perfect transition into what we do as a church, right? If So if we kind of narrow this in to land this plane, right, as we kind of wrap up here, yeah. how do we talk about race in the church, right? So the verse that I'm thinking of that everybody probably knows is Galatians 3, 28 and 29, or 3, 28, which reads, there's neither Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, or female in Christ. Yeah. So we've eliminated class, we've eliminated race, and we've eliminated like traditional gender dominance in the person of Christ, right? In the sense of they are, they don't cease to exist. And worth. Yeah, but they are no longer the main identity by which we live. And there's still things They're, that we need to correct. work through and talk through. They're no longer the set through which we make a hierarchy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ is above all. Right. But there are still specific expressions in the church of blackness, of whiteness, correct. blah, blah, blah. And those things are not things to paper over. They're not things to uh, try and tamper down. Yeah. But they are be there to be celebrated in the fullness, yeah. right? So what does, in your estimation, yeah. it look like when you talk about race in the church? Yeah, I mean, I think what it wouldn't look like is to ask uh, the people of color to, hey, come up with something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think that would be helpful. <laughs> I, I, I was watching a, a show, uh, and it was funny because the the white character was like, oh, we need, we need to fix racism. Uh, so do do something about it. Mm-hmm. To the, and, and then the, the character was like, how ironic is it that you're asking the person who's been under the thumb of the system to yeah. also take responsibility to yeah, fix it, right? for fixing it, yeah. Um, so that you could feel better. Yep. So I don't think that would be helpful. I also don't think it would be helpful to do like, all right, let's do a series about it so we can move on. Yeah, yeah. I think that there needs to be a mutual responsibility to say people have to listen, but people have to be willing to, to speak mm -hmm. and educate and say, and, and be blunt. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so I think it, it has to be messy. Yeah. Yeah. And this, this for me has probably been the place where I feel like God has been moving in my own life for the most amount of time uh, over the last five or six years, right? I've been, I've been having these conversations with people uh, kind of right at the onset of BLM after the Ferguson stuff. Uh, and hmm. for, for me, the conversation very quickly turned to uh, friends who were black expressing a frustration and even a disdain sometimes as far as using the word hate for just white people right and so it became kind of confusing when these conversations first started right because as a you know talking to somebody who is black would express that level of vitriol or anger or frustration or sorrow and her oftentimes all those things mixed into one and but it became a very quick kind of learning experience of saying like this was something that they had been holding inside for so long hmm. based on so many experiences, you know, anecdotal, real, perceived, whatever. The reality was still what the reality was for them. And so to be able to hold that space for them as somebody became a very important thing for me in this, you know. And, and so this is something that I've, I've kind of been wrestling through or talking with people that 
if you know we can hold that space for people's vitriol mm-hmm. uh, and allow almost like a tea kettle situation right and this is not something we're called to do with everyone but people we have deep relational intimacy with people that you know we have we have journeyed through the messiness of all of this with like what a blessing that can be mm-hmm. as non-white or as non-black or as non-brown people mm. that we can do this right like it's not a pat on the back it's not like white saving it's not you know it's nothing like that it's people being in relationship with each other who just happen to be black or and white or whatever the case yeah. may be in that situation and some of the i think most um compelling reasoning for that is the way that i think about god's relationship with me you know as just as a person it's like god handles the totality of my emotional spectrum there and God has called me to live in relationship with people the way that he and I live in relationship with each other and if God can handle all of my emotional unfiltered unfiltered thoughts behaviors expressions then maybe not with everybody but certainly with a few people mm-hmm. I could probably try and hmm. live that out in some way that's valuable too yeah. and what that does or what I've seen again I'm only speaking in my own experience here is like it has deepened these relationships with people that I love so much because there hasn't had to be a veil there hasn't had to be like filtering there hasn't had to be any type of uh kind of self-talk or code switching for them Mm -hmm. like they've been able to just fully express that and it's like that's what i want those are the types of friendships that i want i don't want a lot of those because i can't handle a lot of them but a handful right of people that i've journeyed with for me this has become a very powerful thing over the last several years that's awesome And, and so uh, you have any closing thoughts on this yeah, one? Yeah, I mean, as, as we wrap up, I, I do think some of these are really helpful. And I would encourage our Christian viewers to seek some of these out. Check in with people. Mm-hmm. And I think the value of journeying with people is the most significant thing we wanted to come across. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Leave us a comment. What would you add to a uh, proper Christian perspective to some of these really difficult kind of topics in the, and specifically this issue? Yeah, we'll keep going, man. It's not going to get any easier, huh? We'll see you guys next time on Kingdom Thinking. Make sure to leave us a comment below.